After a very long and extended break away, I am back on Taking Care of Business. Delighted to be back and I am joined by a very special guest, someone who has helped me personally over the last couple of months. He is Cyrus Rustum and he is the co-founder of Boxco. Hello, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, perfect. I was just saying before camera, this is marketing 101 here. He's got caps, he's got t-shirts. Unbelievable. Okay, mate, so why I've asked you here today is, um, obviously, sports resonates uh, very deeply in our business. I think the sense of competition, discipline, disappointment, uh, consistency, uh, links very, very well to just being successful in general, but in particular, um, business. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit, before, before we get started, tell us a little bit about Boxica, because it's something that was new to me a year ago, before my wife introduced me. Tell us a little bit about what it is, where it started. Yeah, it all started with me. I left my previous business, and I was hungry to start a new concept. And at the time, I, I worked for the Royal Family, and I was in London with my clients, and I saw a few concepts that I liked the look of. So I did what I thought was best in that scenario. I spoke to the the smartest, most successful person I knew, and that was Lee, my business partner. And he kind of took my energy and passion for the project and directed it down the way it needed to go. And so that started a chain of research. We went to New York for a week. I did like four or five classes a day in New York for wow. a week, trying out all the concepts over there. And I learned through that research that there was a trend happening that evolved around boxing and bringing it into the masses where Previously, boxing was typically a male-dominated environment. You had to get punched in the face if you wanted to do boxing, bleed. You know, there were dirty, sweaty environments. And the trend was bringing boxing to the masses and making it fun and uh, unintimidating and for everyone. And then we went to Amsterdam, did some more research, and we took the best of what we found from Amsterdam, London, New York, and created this concept. And we did the fit out throughout lockdown and opened the week after lockdown. And so the first year of business, you can imagine, people didn't want to be near people mm. at that moment in time. Everyone was scared. It was a very unsure uh, time. But we, you know, we got through it and we've expanded now from the first boxing and fitness studio to the cycling studio to the cafe. And we have two outdoor training spaces. We've just... You're well surpassed the, the million dollar revenue mark, which is a great milestone for us, and we're continuing to grow. One of the biggest compliments I can probably give you is my wife, up until 18 months ago, did not like exercise. She didn't probably need to up until having children, to be honest with you. But since good joining Boxica, she's absolutely, when I say addicted, like if she doesn't do it every day, this is a bad day. Yeah. Um, so I think what you've tried to achieve in terms of making it completely you know, open to all, you've certainly achieved it there because someone has gone from not doing exercise to an environment where, how I describe boxing to everyone, is it's so, um, a bit like a cult. Yeah. To explain it, it's so bizarre because yeah. you've got such a sense of community and what you've done in two and a half, three years is amazing. You know, what you tend to find is there's a lot of people that go there from all different walks of life and they're so friendly. 
They are quite protective in terms of, uh, to give you an example, like it was a, another boxing gym opened, I think, a year ago. And lots of different people have you know, said to me, I'll try this, try this. And me, I'm like, no, I, yeah. <laughs> I love Boxica. You know, I love the yeah. people there. And that same message or that same response is to a lot of other people. So what you've done in that short space of time, creating that cult-like community feel yeah. is actually quite magical. You've done something which is not easy to achieve. Um, and I honestly implore anyone that's listening or watching this to try uh, Boxer Cal. There's lots of different things. It's very challenging. It's so fun. The people are great. But in terms of the business itself, what, what's been the biggest challenge for you since opening? Obviously, lockdown, we talked about that. But during that part, what's, what's really been the hardest thing for you to kind of overcome or, you know, things that you think, oh, I need to, we need to tackle this next? Um, well... When we opened, we started with the one studio, which was the boxing and fitness studio. And it was, like I said, it was a tough start, but it became very apparent within the first six to eight months that we were onto something, yeah. right? And what you just said about the community, that was purposefully set. What didn't happen by accident, we created that through how our team are and how our coaches are and the type of people that I hired. And so we were at the point where we were like, okay, we're doing well, but we were starting to get feedback. Like, you know, we want to try some other things. Like, it's great, we love it, it's fun, but we'd love to have other concepts, you know, do some different strength training, kettlebells, and we got all these different ideas from our members. So we were at a point where we were running a profit. We had low, relatively low overheads because we just had the two units yeah. converted into the one studio. But we had all these customers telling us we want more, right? So we reinvested all of the profits and more money from our own pockets and decided to take on the other units. And so, you know, that, that crossroads for us was key in, we could have just stayed with the one studio and, and been happy with that, but taking the risk, opening up the new, we took the lease on the two other units without even knowing what we were gonna do. Wow. We just heard that other people were going for it. We were like, we'll speak to the landlord, get them, and then decide, right. So we were sat down, you know, pen to paper, right, what are we gonna do? And so the cycling studio, uh, turned out to be a good idea and the cafe space was originally supposed to be another exercise studio but it was just too small it just wouldn't have worked financially so we we decided to turn it into a cafe and then obviously we've got all the outdoor space now and we've grown and what it is today is like everything under one roof yeah so that was pretty much it amazing absolutely amazing so you've got a bit of a unique past before boxer and doing um you know personal uh, training for, for you know royal families and whatnot tell us a little bit about what you've done before so i was a royal marines commando for five years and if you could turn back the hands of time and see me before i joined i would be the most unlikely candidate to be a commando i was undisciplined very mouthy i hated school and there was a strange thing that happened there was one moment in time that I can remember like yesterday, which turned me into this guy that, or kid that hated fitness and would not take his PE kit to school to avoid doing sport. So this one moment happening and the next day becoming absolutely obsessed with training. And just to give you a little bit of context behind that, so you understand my mindset at the time, I was 13 years old. My parents had just split up. My mum left my dad, took my two sisters and my brother and moved to the other side of the country, right? And it just so happened that 
I didn't speak to my two sisters and brother for like 15 years and my mom after that. Anyway, that's another podcast. But mm. I can imagine this, you know, kid at home with his dad. I was one of three kids in the whole high school that didn't have pure white skin, right? And my name's Cyrus and the school's full of Michaels and Adams and, you know, uh, typical Welsh people. Uh, So I just wanted to be like everyone else and I wasn't. I was failing at all the subjects. I didn't understand anything that the teachers were were talking about in the classes. I just didn't understand school at all. I hated it and I wanted to escape. And this one morning, and I remember this vividly like it was yesterday, my friend at the time, he was my best friend and I was uh, the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at my wedding. He was also from a broken family. His mother was an alcoholic. His dad lived in Saudi and his sister was bringing him up. Anyway, so this morning, he walked into school and showed me a picture of his brother. And his brother just so happened to be a Royal Marines commando. And before my friend could say anything, a light bulb went off in my head. That's my escape. That's how I can leave all this and go on my adventure. It's joining the Royal Marines. And it gives me goosebumps just saying it because I remember the feelings I got at that young, scared you know, boy looking at this photo. And that was it. The next day, I become obsessed. That was my life goal, to become a commando, you know, and I was thinking back when I was looking over the notes for this podcast, like we would do crazy things. Me and my friend would go down to the beach in the middle of the winter in the UK in shorts and t-shirt at five o'clock in the morning and run with the ocean up to our knees in crazy windy weather because we had a purpose. We wanted to escape this town and go and live our dreams of going into the military and we would train like crazy. And so that's the story of me becoming a commando and, and choosing that route. And What age did you go in being so a commando? I walked into the recruitment office in Wrexham when I was 15 and nine months old on the day because I knew that you had to be 15 and nine months old to apply to join. Wow. And the recruiter laughed at me and said, you're too young, come back when you're older. And I said, no, I'm 15 and nine months old. And he checked and he was like, oh, you've done your research. And I said, yeah. He said, well, that's all well and good, but I don't think you're the right fit to become a commando. And he didn't realize what I'd been through, right? And where I was coming from. So somehow managed to convince him to let me go on the potential Royal Marines course which at the time you needed to do three days with them in the commando training center to see if you were good enough to go into commando training. So obviously I, I completely smashed it, beat everyone on the bleep test and all the fitness tests, knew everything about the Marines. Went back to the recruitment office and he said, okay, you proved me wrong. However, I still don't think you should, you should join. The percentage of kids that pass commando training at your age is very small. There's injuries, it's very taxing on the body. You haven't fully developed yet. I recommend you wait. And I was like, no way, like I, will, I need this, I need to join. So he let me in and it wasn't easy at that age. There was a lot of setbacks on that route. But you know, in my mind at that time, like honestly, I can say that the thought process I had in my mind going through commando training was either I'm gonna get my commando green beret and become a Royal Marines commando or I'm gonna die because I am not going back to that hometown in that environment with those people. And so that, you know, carried me through. Was it everything you hoped or wished or wanted for? Because I tend to say a lot of the things you want in life sometimes are quite often a disappointment. Yeah, it got me out of, it served this purpose. It got me out of the town. Yeah. It showed me different aspects of life. It took me on some journeys that I never would have been able to have done, uh, you know, as a civilian. And I learned a lot. But as you grow older, 
and you age and now looking back, you know, I, w I don't regret anything and I'm glad I did it. But uh, my definitely my opinion of the military in general and everything that we're doing has changed, yeah, for sure. How tough was it? Because you hear some of the things about the commanders and I want you to hear that you think, wow, this is badass. Like, how badass is it? How tough is it to, to get in there? It's hard, mate. It's very hard. You, you know, the people think it's the fitness aspect of things. That's not difficult. They train you sensibly from day one and they build your fitness up to becoming a level where you can pass the four commando tests, right? And the, the hardest part about it is when you're in the field with your kit, soaking wet in the minus temperatures, waking up at two, three, four o'clock in the morning when you're sleep deprived, when you're hungry, when you're lying in a puddle and when you're feeling sorry for yourself and you've got to really dig in and be like, do I really want this? And that's why the pass percentage is so low because they push you to your absolute limit. And I faced challenges towards the end of training. I got through like 27 weeks of training with my original team. And then I got an infection in my leg. And it was quite a bad infection. I was covering it up because I knew that it was quite serious and I didn't want them to pull me out of my original troop, right? I get, built this relationship with these guys for 27 weeks. We were like brothers. Anyway, it got so bad that I started getting sick. They pulled me out and said, you've got to go to the troop behind. You're not, you, know, you're, you're in a, you need to recover a little bit. It's called back troop. So they took me away from all those guys, put me in the troop behind it. Tried the commando test again, finished the first two on the third one, collapsed because I was sick from this infection. Again, took me back to the third time, went through it, passed three commando tests, got to the last one, which is a 30 mile march across mountainous terrain with weight. Wow. I got to mile 22 and I collapsed. And they took me in hospital and they obviously stripped me and they saw this red road map on my leg which was the infection that had gone from my knee up to my hip and down my shin. And the doctor was like, you idiot. Do you know how serious this is? Like, not that long ago, we'd have been straight into surgery and we'd been looking at chopping stuff off. So they got me on all these drips and medications and I had to go back into this troop where you heal from big injuries and where you can build yourself back up and pass. Uh, but again, we did it, you know, we got through it. What brought you to Dubai? Because I, I, I often to... to I say to people moving here, people typically run away from something back home or they're running towards something. And I liken that to your running away from something back home to the commandos. What brought you here? I was living in Thailand, uh, working as a coach and life in Thailand's very relaxed. Mm -hmm. You're in flip-flops, you don't wear t-shirts, you're in shorts. I was working for two hours a day coaching and I was training Muay Thai four hours a day life was very chill I wanted more yeah I knew I was meant for more I knew I could be and do more and although I was living this what you would call a cool life I was miserable okay completely miserable so I just picked Dubai randomly because it looked like a very entrepreneurial place and I just had this like inner feeling that I needed to go there yeah and so that's why I moved here on my own uh, as a personal trainer uh, working in fitness first I can relate massively to this because when I was 22, I think I was 22 when I moved here, I said to my mum at the time, I don't want the sense of regret or what if when it's too late. And I always felt something in my body where I was capable of more. I knew I could do more. I knew I could be successful. And that's what kind of drove me to Dubai. Circling back to business then. So I think Dubai in general, as we can probably both agree, is 
there's, there's lots of things going on regarding the fitness community. Lots of different options, lots of different choice in terms of things open up, whether it's sports, paddle tennis, whatever it might be. How do you go about in your business attracting new clients, new customers, retaining them, and, and building that sense of community and okay, I guess coming back to that call, what's the, what's the magic? What have you done? Yeah. Well, the typical gym is focused on the transactional type relationship. They want lots of members so they can get lots of money in the bank and they count on the members not showing up to the gym actually because the gym might have 10,000 members on its books but only 3,000 of them will actually come and train regularly because it is a transactional interaction with the customer. We knew from an early stage that we needed to build a relational um, experience for the customer. So it works both ways. It's good for the business and it's good for the customer. Let's look at the example, right? So someone comes to a regular big box gym, they sign up for a membership and there's no relationship uh, there with, with the place. It's just a equipment in a room, they come and train and leave. Uh, another gym, a bigger, better, fancier equipment gym opens down the road, they're gonna move and go, and go to that one. Or they're not just gonna, they're not just not gonna show up and get the results, right? So that's not good for them as a, as a person trying to get results in fitness. What we tried to build was a relationship where we know their names, we know their kids' names, we know their pets' names. We have events outside of the gym where we know these people on a deeper level. We have relationships with them. We speak to them like humans and build a relationship with them so that they feel comfortable. They feel like it's a second home to them. They like coming to the gym, not just to train, but because of the people and the environment. Therefore, they are more consistent with their fitness because they show up more and they get better results. Mm -hmm. And it's better for business because yeah. it's hard to look at your friend in the face and say, hey, I don't want to hang around with you anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they hang around and it's good for both. It's a win-win. One of the things that which impresses me about Boxer is you have lots of things to bring people together. So you have ice baths regularly. Uh, I think you have like a regular like drinks, so to speak, like yeah. uh, events of yep. the, the, the members, socials, socials the stuff outside of the typical train that you do to kind of bring not just the core group of people that go there, but to encourage. Absolutely. There's, I guess there's a lot of new people that come to your gyms the first time, are perhaps new to Dubai as well, so they're perhaps looking for friends. 100%. Bit, I think Dubai in general is, can be a lonely place. Yeah, absolutely. You don't know people, so I think from, from that aspect. Tell me about where you're based then. So... Um, where is Boxcar? Where can people find it? We're in Studio City, and you know, Studio City was very underdeveloped when we first got there. Um, it's in a great location, and it, we were very purposeful as well with the uh, choosing of location. So when we were looking through locations, we had um, one of Lee's contacts had a commercial space in DIFC that we could have taken, relatively cheap. There was a space in Alcuz next to another quite popular, a boutique studio, a cycling studio, literally on the same street. We had a space in one of the Damak Towers in Marina, and we had the space in Studio City. So we had four locations, and we were, for a while, wondering which one we should go for. And so we chose Studio City for a number of reasons. Um, number one, my previous business was in Motor City, 
it was very close. So I feel like I knew the demographic, I knew the people, and I knew the, the concept that we wanted to bring, the community, unintimidating atmosphere would be great in that location, right? Whereas DIFC is more fancy, pretentious, mm -hmm. not really our vibe in terms of what we wanted to build. Yeah. Okay. Um, generally as a rule in in fitness if you're going to open a brick and mortar fitness business you need to be within 15 minutes from where people live during peak rush hour so studio city is perfect mm. jamaica golf estates arabian ranches mudan mira the whole community got tilawa gaff coming up around the crown corner as well right uh damak one yeah i mean packed with residential the type of people we like right mid to high income families, professionals live in that area. So we decided to ditch the other locations, go all in on Studio City, and it's been, it was a great decision. They say rising tide lifts all, and I think that, that applies to Studio City, because when I first, when you hear the name, you think, oh, I'm not sure, you don't know a lot about it, but there's so much happening around there that, you know, it, it would only benefit the area, obviously, the impacts that it might be rising rents in the future for you guys. Yeah, for sure. No, they have they have increased the rents have increased a little bit. Um, we have we do have a good relationship with the landlord and the place has developed a lot. I mean, there was no malls in Motor City when I first moved there a few years ago. Now there's like four malls there, massive shopping centers. And so much potential for Motor City, so much more development to happen. There is, and it's happening, you've seen it, right? And same as Studio City, there's so many residential blocks and new buildings coming up in that area so it's been great for us big thing choosing your location what were the biggest factors for obviously being close to your clients but the actual units yourself when you're a, a, a tenant what sort of things are, are the biggest things for you aside from location choosing somewhere the first and biggest thing for us is parking yeah. so in my previous uh, when i was working for fitness first as a personal trainer it was actually located in knowledge village and they were relying on this block of land across the road for the customers to use as a parking space. And the gym was quite busy. And then they did a construction building you know, on that plot of land, so they obviously stopped people from parking there. Within three months, gyms closed down. No parking, impossible. How are you gonna have a gym with no parking? So parking and within 15 minutes of where people live, those two were like non-negotiables for us in terms of picking the spot. Okay, so just circling back to where you are in terms of the business, I don't think many people, and you talked, touched on it earlier on about um, most of your incomes you made from the business first two, three years, you put back into business. I don't think a lot of people who, who are not running a business don't understand, I can tell you from personal experience, Lewis and I probably didn't receive any genuine income from the business until probably year six or seven, because that we knew we had to put everything back in to ensure we grew at a pace we want. So from a business perspective, where do you think there's areas for you to grow outside of you know, the core cafe, spin, uh, the gym itself? For us now, really the way that we need to expand is to go to other locations. Okay, so in Dubai, outside Dubai? Um, that's a great question. Um, so we've debated this by the way. We've debated, well, we've talked about this very briefly, or I've talked about it with Lee, where you should be. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a million dollar question. I feel like there could be potential for something in Business Bay. Yeah. Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Maybe a smaller version in Sharjah. I don't know. People have said yes, people have said no. And then on to other countries, uh, you know, around the GCC. 
There is massive potential for Boxica over the next five to 10 years to really make an impact in the area. Mm-hmm. And for us at the moment, it's, we've had multiple people approach us and, you know, with having the business partner likely, it's not hard to get investors in, but it's for us, it's about finding the right partner that can really support us in certain ways and can, we can grow in the right way, you yeah. know? So we're not in a rush, we're doing well, We've established ourselves, and if, if that opportunity does come about, then yeah, we'll go for it. How do you engage with the community or your your people in terms of the, the, you've got a, a membership scheme, right? In terms of uh, people being able to do how what's your, what's your levels of engagement in terms of how do you get involved with them or how do you get involved with the, you know people that come in general? The local community, yeah, yeah. We we've tried loads of different things to try and engage with the businesses in the area and we've had lots of different kind of marketing schemes and and all sorts and i've learned from pretty much eight years now of running fitness businesses we engage with the local community and build awareness through word of mouth plain and simple i've wasted so much money on marketing and different things where it's really just about making the experience so good, making the people feel like all the things I've said, like it's a second home, like they can talk to you, you have a relationship with them and they will leave that place and go and tell all their friends, wow, you need to come to this place. It's a little bit different. I like it. They cater to all different fitness levels. They make me feel good. They actually care about me. And so that's how we've, you know, that's always been the focus for us. We jested or I I jested last week to you about getting a referral scheme for me because the amount of people are dragged into uh, yeah, we need to get you more permission <laughs> into Voxica it, and it, it is true it's um the the knock-on effect of people in this business or f- friends that have come and I, I can probably list 20 names where you know that's such a good experience and then, to be honest with you we've been we're in business 15 years next week our 15th wow, year in business so amazing. and I think a lot of cl- our clients tend to come to us because come back to us because they know what they're going to get. They know the service is going to be good. They know we're trustworthy. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. You hear horror stories even now. Um, and that word of mouth is absolutely massive. And also just having a good experience, whether it's with the individual or with yeah. the company itself. And I mean, what I like about your uh, your place is the, the relationship with the trainers. Mm. You've got a group of five to 10 different trainers. Yeah. And then coming back to the cool thing, you tend to have individuals have their favorites. Yes. Um, so I, I guess picking the right people to work in your gyms is it's not just can they tick boxes are they a good trainer they've got a little, little bit about them right mate I've got I've got six kind of pillars non-negotiables for building a successful fitness business and one of them is build the right team and so I have a, a step-by-step process that I look at when I'm interviewing trainers and it's got absolutely nothing, zero to do with their experience. I don't care yeah. what you've done. I don't care how you can coach a squat. I'm looking at number one, would I want to hang out with this person if it wasn't in a work environment? Yeah. I, am I interested in you? Do I get good energy from you? Because I believe we all have either positive or negative energy. Yeah. That's it. There's no in-between. Either you're positive or you're negative. So I'm feeling like you've got some negativity going on. I'm not interested, right? So positive person, I'd want to hang out with them outside of the gym. And the last one is, do they care? Yeah. Do they care about people? Are they really into this? And if they've got those three things, then I can teach them everything else. So in 15 years, you make a lot of mistakes from our perspective. 
and I think it's such an old cliche, but people are the, probably the biggest part of your business and certainly are for our business. And Lewis is my business partner, often says these days that CVs mean account for nothing. You know, it's about, about personality. And one of the most difficult things to measure is what's in here, yeah. your heart. And even, you know, when you're talking to one, you can't measure that because in this job, and I like it very much to fitness, there is lots of adversity. So when someone moves to Dubai, in a real estate job, they're not just doing the challenge of, oh, it's a new job. They're coming over the, the, the hurdle of being away from mum and dad or friends yeah. and family from their pub or their local gym. Yeah. They're away from, um, you know, all the normal things that they're used to of their home country in a, in, in a new job that they've never done before. So the pressure, mm. and not earning a salary, by the way, the right. pressure is massive. Yeah. And when you say about the royal... Um, Royal Commandos, right? Yeah, Royal Marines. Yeah, Royal Marines yeah. the, the percentage of people getting through is probably not far off the percentage of people being truly, truly successful in life. Mm. They say the top 10% or top 3% of highest earners. Mm. There is something different about people that are successful in general. So whether it's in a real estate sector, and a lot of, uh, and a lot of things I look at is, you know, um, someone's a bad day, they lose a couple of deals, they don't earn money for three months, let's say for arguments, how do you react? Yeah. Do you go home, have a four or five pints of beer and kind of wave the white flag and blame everyone else? Or do you think, no, I'm staying a bit longer, I'm getting in early, early tomorrow morning and I'm gonna roll my sleeves, I know I'm gonna have to keep going because I know if I'm consistent, results happen. So, so, so much crossover with, uh, with, with fitness, with uh, disappointment, with consistency. And, and when, when, when we see the top performers here, what people don't understand is the people that do really, really well in this job, they've probably been in with us quite a long time. Right. They've probably been consistent right. <laughs> for a long time. That's probably the hardest part in this job. And probably in fitness, to be fair, because I've gone through a little journey with you where you can go and have a couple of good days and do well and, and you know, eat well, train well, but it's not about the couple of days, it's about doing it every day and being consistent. And I, I, coming back to the, the, we probably intake 25 to 30 people a month in this, in this business. Wow. Every people join 25 to 30 people every month. And we, we prepare people. Mm. I will tell people in this room, it's the hardest job you'll ever have. Mm. Hardest job. Mm. Because you could be tested in so many different ways. Mm. And some of you who join will probably want to give up months three or four. When you have that feeling, month three or four, it's a normal feeling. Yeah. It's not, there's nothing, no one's, just thinking that way is not bad. Mm. It's how you act and how you react to mm. that and, and whether it's a case of doing the easy way of, the easy thing of blaming people, giving up and saying, oh, it's too hard or thinking, no, F this. Yeah. I'm going to keep going and I'm not going to give up. I've done the hardest part moving to Dubai, which is waving goodbye to the family, jumping on that plane. Mm. It would be such a shame to give up. And same with the fitness thing. So you do um, something just before the summer. Tell us a little bit about, and we come back to the community aspect. Tell us about the summer shred. The summer shred, yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Mate, there's so many things that you said there that rang a bell in my mind, honestly. And I could relate to so much. The crossover between the discipline and the, the, the commando. We, we have four commando qualities and... Most of the stuff you just mentioned there, which is all business and, and money related, translate over massively to the commando qualities and all the stuff uh, we learn. And uh, yeah, the summer the summer shred is a, a program that we made. That's quite a uh, it's to lose fat, right? Summer shred, and um, a lot of the stuff that we teach is on nutrition and training and 
some of the stuff is from what I learned from the military, like the, the idea was to have Claire take over the kind of nutrition and training aspect of things and guide people in that sense. And my job with it was to kind of get in people's heads and to try and keep them on track mentally. Because at the end of the day, success in fitness and, and losing weight and, and having that body that you really want, it comes down to one thing, and you've already said it, it's consistency, mm. right? You can have the best training program, the best diet and the best everything in the world, but if you don't stick to it long enough, then you don't get the results, right? And exactly what you said is how do you reframe a situation where it seems on surface level that you might be failing, but in fact, it's just the universe giving you a nudge saying, hey, you've just learned how not to do it. So do it another way and you know, you're know you one step closer to achieving your goals. So yeah, the summer shred's great because um, it's... It gives people an opportunity in a short space of time to see massive results in there. I felt like you gave me the cheat code to losing weight or losing fat because I've always been quite an active person, played football, you know, enjoy running in general. Um, but this, I think, was what eight or twelve weeks we done where I'd lost six, seven kilos, which is I, I, I'd always been plattered at a certain weight and I'd always been active and never been able to do that. So the fact you got me below where where I needed to be. But I now know that that eight weeks wasn't just the physical instruction manual to what to do, but it was mentally in terms of uh, understanding more about food, understanding more about being consistent and being accountable to what I'm doing. And uh, it's kind of flicked a switch in me. Uh, Yeah, my wife's lost 15 kilos this year. Wow. Amazing. And a huge part of that is down to... The summer shred, and obviously, she's looking great, man. Yeah, she's doing, she's doing good. She's doing very, very good. Right, before we finish up, the fire five. I've got some notes in here to talk about each each point. So, tell me a little bit about the fire five. This is new to me, so we may have discussed it already, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. um, So, honesty is uh, one of the things on the list, right? Yeah. This resonates with me, and the girls will probably smile at me behind because I'm quite brutal. And I'll, I'll say some of the things sometimes that they're not padded, but I feel like people respect more yeah. absolutely being to the point, not yeah. waffling around yeah. and getting to the point. And I think if more people like that in general are not just kind of skirting around things, it might be to be fear, it might be to do with... Well, I'll put my hand up and say when I first started my, my, my first business, I didn't have the confidence or the ability to have an upfront conversation with someone. I wanted my team to like me, yeah, right? And that was the wrong way to be an effective leader. That's completely the wrong mindset to have, right? You're leading those people and you need to have those awkward conversations sometimes for the better of the relationship, for the better of the business. Yeah. And as a, an effective leader and communicator, to be able to do that, and I learned the hard way, you know, I'll be the first person to put my hand up and, and say that through experience and very difficult uh, situations that I've put myself through, I've learned to become an effective communicator and an effective leader through that. And my first business was three and a half years in Dubai, um, growing a gym. It was with a, a family member of mine that I'd never met before I'd come to Dubai. The the handshake agreement was... Uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? The handshake agreement was he will invest, I'll, uh, I'll do the work and you know, he invested, it was about 1.3, 1.4 million dirhams. It wasn't a huge amount, but, and I, I did the work and I grew it to a successful business. So we were doing just shy of a million dollars a year revenue. It, we had a good membership base. It was running a decent profit. Uh, but obviously the, the handshake agreement broke down at some point. And it was probably due to put my hand up to not having those 
direct conversations early on to yeah. set the tone for the rest of the journey. You and know? you know, with direct and brutal honesty, it's not even being rude. It's just saying what you think without skirting around the subject. I think too many people in general skirt around subjects and it just delays inevitable and it could, yeah. very often can be a bad outcome. And fortunately for you, it wasn't particularly from, for a great outcome with regards to, to that. So Yeah, no, I, I, it, that for me, that first business was my business university. You know, I didn't go to school at all, like I told you. Yeah. So that for me was like, hey, uh, get in the weeds. You know, it taught me hard work. It taught me the exact amount that you put in, you get out, mm-hmm. right? And there's no getting around that. You've got to put it in. And the time and the energy and, and learning about people, communication, managing a team, that was my learning experience, you know? So although that relationship did fo- break down from it, that was a relatively uh, inexpensive lesson that I had to learn at that point in time it's so that I can make these bigger, more aggressive um, kind of moves knowing that I learned that mistake. Do you know what with mistakes in general, and this is to me talking business, I've, taught, I've made so many mistakes over here, me and Lewis have so many, whether it's big or small situations, but I would much prefer, much prefer to make a mistake than not try at all. And there's so many people that are scared, stiff to make a mistake, whether it's running a business or in their job or whatever, where they don't ever really progress forward because they're too scared of what might happen. Just for me, if you make mistakes, it means you're learning and you're moving forward. Absolutely. So five, number two, discipline to achieve performance. How does that relate to your business life in terms of being disciplined? Because running a business, quite a lonely place. You've got the benefit of having a partner, which is great, but I... It is a lonely place. The yeah. reality, everything falls on you. How do you be disciplined now running a business? Yeah. Well, discipline is... When I speak to people about discipline, most people come back to me and say, oh, I've got no discipline. You know, and I like to live what people would see from the outside as a fairly disciplined life, right? You see me on social media posting my wake-up time, 4.30 in the morning, and my... my... Seen that burpees, mate. Burpees <laughs> at 4.30. There's no need right. for that, I'm afraid. So let me, let me explain it and let me give a little bit of... Uh, so that people understand why I do this kind of stuff. Let's take two people. One of them has a set of non-negotiable routines or habits that they do every day. They wake up at an early time and I do believe that one of the most important decisions you make every day is what time you wake up yeah. you're sending a message to the universe I'm lazy I slept in I've just wasted this time I'm late I'm rushing that's the kind of energy that you've got when you wake up early you're sending a message to the universe like boom I'm up yeah. I'm disciplined I'm here I'm ready let's go so that first initial decision of waking up early and then Movements. The reason why I do burpees first thing in the morning is because I'm manufacturing a positive mindset through movement. We all know when we go to the gym, it makes us feel better. We have that rush of endorphins. And at 4.30 in the morning, guess what? I don't feel too good, right? I'm maybe a bit grumpy. I could have done with a couple of more hours sleep. So I force myself to bang out a load of burpees, get a sweat on, and I immediately like, boom, right? Now I'm awake. Now yeah. let's go. And I've also given my time some hours of the day that allows me to do some personal development, right? I might journal, read, work on uh, some content or some things for a few hours where no one's going to WhatsApp me, no one's going to email me, no one's even awake yet. So imagine the path of the guy that's got his habits. He's manufacturing his positivity. 
He's going about his day, shaking hands with people, looking at people with a certain determination and discipline in his eyes, and he's reaching for these higher goals because he's manufactured his positivity and his discipline. Or the guy that wakes up, that's sending different energy to the universe, that hasn't got that discipline, that hasn't got that self-trust, self-control, self-discipline, he's making different decisions in life, right? And over the time, of a, if you zoom out and look at like a, a five, 10 year period, it doesn't take a rocket science to know who's going to be further in life. Right? Yeah. So I always bring things back to choosing the hard disciplined route, because when you can master yourself, you can then go and master the world. And people think it's hard. It's not. Being disciplined is easy. It's the easy route in life. When you're undisciplined, life becomes very difficult. And everyone knows what they should be doing. Everyone's got the voice inside their head after they've just gone out drinking all night in the morning that says, oh, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Or when you look in the mirror and you look at your body and you're not happy with it. How, what, how much negative energy is that? You're not proud of your own body, the place that you live. Right? You're waking up late, you're eating bad foods. Again, that little voice comes inside your head. You shouldn't be eating these foods, it's bad for you. You're not living in line with your, you can call it conscious, universe, God, thoughts. You're out of line with it, yeah. right? But when you bring it in line and you live with conscious congruency and you're actually doing the things that that little voice is telling you to do, honestly, you become more happier. You're not depressed anymore. You're on your own personal stuff so that you can go out there and achieve whatever it is you want. It all links back to accountability. And again, little thing I do on Sunday, Sunday evening is I'll jump on my phone. I'll book all my classes for the week for coming to see you guys. Because I then know, right, I'm booked in. I'm, I'm not cancelling because I've committed to myself at X, Y, Z time. I'm going, that's it, it's done. And that's my little Kickstarter for the day. So... Little tip for you there, you don't have to do burpees at 4.30 in the morning, but what you do do is have a plan, stick to the plan. Um, but are there any similarities with being in the commandos and business in terms of is anything you've took from that where you think, oh, they're a little bit similar or... Yeah, we, in, in the commandos, we have four commando qualities that we live by and I briefly mentioned it before. And the four commando qualities directly help people that are wanting to be entrepreneurs or, or business people. So the first one is courage, right? And from your journey and what you've told me, what you've built over the last 15 years, I mean, how much courage does that take? And the, the story of the agents coming over, leaving their home, starting new, no salary, right? You need massive amounts of courage to do well in business. And that's the first commando quality. And my way of perceiving the courage is always do what's right and in your heart, don't let the opinions of other people you know, sway you away from, from what needs to be done. Especially as a leader, as a visionary, you need to stick to your guns. So first one's courage. Second commando quality is determination. Quite simply put, never ever give up. Goes without saying, yeah. right? The third commando quality is unselfishness. And I perceive that as prioritize the needs of the mission and team before self. Think about the sacrifices you've made for this place over the last 15 years. Like you said, not taking money out, reinvesting it in and putting more energy. Me and my wife nearly split up. So when we first set up the, the business, I think for the first three years, I was in at 7.30 having to open up, the, open up the offices. Me and Lewis were not getting in 10.30, 11 o'clock. Wow. So if that's happening on a regular basis, your other half surely gonna be asking questions. Yeah. Well, I'm not seeing you. Yeah. We're not particularly doing anything. Yeah. But I knew in my heart of hearts, I said to her, look, 
if you want to go home and do your own thing and that's up to you but i have to do this i have to yeah and you know she stuck by me which is great mate you, you're doing amazing you're a great example and I, I love it the way when you talk it's you know like i said it's ringing so many bells in my mind and it's very similar to the commando way of life you know entrepreneurs successful entrepreneurs like you and royal marines commandos have so much in common the last commando quality and the one that i personally resonate with the most is cheerfulness in the face of adversity and i see that as you've already mentioned this a lot looking at a situation uh, that i i i'd say it is the universe is giving you information mm-hmm. it's telling you something and it's all about your perception of the situation right cheerfulness in the face of adversity the universe is telling you that what you're doing is the wrong way you just need to change your path and go on another course and perception uh, and i pride myself on having a smile on my face when i'm going through tough situations does environment play a part of that because i'm to- I'm, i'm talking about this because where we're from the uk yeah okay every single day on the news yeah. is not a lot of good. Yeah. Um, that cr- <laughs> I always find when I'm in the UK, I love it because I'm around my family, but I feel like I don't blame people feeling not feeling great because of the negativity. Absolutely. Does the environment play a part in that? 100%, 100%. I think that's why I had that intuition to come to Dubai, mm-hmm. to get into the environment that was very entrepreneurial and progressive. I went back home this summer even having lived in Dubai 11 years and having all this discipline and habits and mindset and whatever i felt my energy come down to the level of the people in my hometown now don't get me wrong i love those people i went to school with them but honestly i w- i was starting to question myself you know and i started to slip here and there and um people are are out of shape they're unhealthy they're brainwashed by the media mm. and the weather doesn't help at no. all right and you come into dubai everyone's positive progressive everyone wants to do better everyone's healthy the weather's amazing the beaches it's just a massive a massive thing environment i've got a note on here the power of resilience and determination examples of hard goal hard work goals through mindset i'm not going to ask you that i'm going to ask you massive thing which is very prevalent certainly in the last five years mental health yeah there are people in my life over the years that have kind of suffered at different degrees um what part does fitness purpose play in that and can it help yeah absolutely it's huge and it's everything and i'll 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 um tell you a little story about me when i've struggled with this myself um i was in afghanistan in 2006 and unfortunately unfortunately because it's the worst and best thing that's ever happened to me i was um in between uh, i found myself in between two trucks where the rear truck went forward and i was in between them and i got my head crushed so i wasn't wearing a helmet wow broke my jaw in three places completely shattered my right eye socket and broke my skull in multiple multiple places right so long story short i didn't realize what i'd done but i knew in the moment lying on the sand that i was in serious trouble and i was screaming i couldn't speak because my jaw was messed up but i was screaming not because i was in pain because i thought oh, this is it like life's over right now like and i was annoyed because there was so much i wanted to do and i was so young 
And I was like scream, I was uh, squeezing the hands of my friends that had gathered around me at this point. And I was squeezing so tightly that they had to let go because like Cyrus, you're crushing my hand. Like, was... Anyway, obviously going through that and, um, and I suffered a lot of, uh, I sort of suffered a lot of psychological things that I needed to get over, right? And, and physical, I spent two weeks in and out of comas and, and multiple uh, head operations in the hospital. And then when I stabilized, they put me into a, uh, a recovery center in Oman, which was a former military hospital to recover for two months. And then they sent me home. And I began my process of recovery. And I went through therapy. And the thing that always got me back on track that helped me the most during that time when I was recovering from this you know, horrendous uh, injury was my fitness. Because when I trained, I felt good. And I got a little bit, every time I went back to the gym, I got a little bit more of my confidence back. And it was like a staircase. Mm-hmm. Every time I trained, I felt a bit more confident. I'm looking better, I'm feeling better. I'm, these chemicals and endorphins are rushing around my body and making me feel good, so I'm having positive thoughts. And it's a knock-on effect. And I, and I just said, that's one of the reasons why I do burpees at 4.30 in the morning is to manufacture my own positivity, mm-hmm. right? Because fitness, it works for me and it, it works for everyone. So they're very highly interconnected mental health and your physical health. The mind and the body are one. There's no being healthy physically, right? If you train regularly, you look after your body, you eat the right foods, you, know, you fuel your body with the correct foods, it's going to cultivate a positive mindset. If you don't train and you abuse your body physically and you don't feed your body with the right things, you don't stay hydrated and you don't sleep properly, guess what? You're not going to feel too good mm-hmm. and that's going to affect your mental health and your mindset. And I, I will quickly go back to the Afghanistan story because I mentioned something that I want to like just finish off for you. It was the best and worst thing that happened to me. I learned the meaning of perspective in the hospital because... Um, obviously I was in a bad way you know, couldn't see properly my jaw was wired shut my spinal fluid coming out of my ears and stuff and I was feeling very sorry for myself and there was this guy that would uh, come into the hospital and he was an old man he was very friendly and he'd come over to me hi how are you and I had my jaw wired shut so <laughs> and he would go and see this other guy that was in the room and the, the guy that was in the bed was clearly disabled and he didn't have control of his bowels or food because I saw the nurses feeding him every day. And uh, this older guy would come in and see him for an hour or two hours and leave. And I remember the old man being very pleasant. And I wrote on a piece of paper to the nurse, like, can you, what's the story with that guy? I was seeing this, I want to know about it. She said, oh, well, he was driving his car with his mum and his sister in the car and they died in an accident. His mum and sister died. And he was the only one that survived. And now he hasn't got control of his whole body. And the reason why he keeps trying to bite himself is he's trying to take his life because he feels so guilty that he killed his mom and sister. And guess what? The guy that was coming in asking me, asking me how I was doing was the father that had lost his wife, his daughter. And he was a pleasant, mannered, friendly guy. And I just, in that moment, was like, oh my, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I immediately snapped out of whatever, you know, feelings I had for myself. And that, per- that perception of the situation completely shifted my mindset. And from then on, it was like, wow, you need to man up and stop being a little girl and get on with this and get yourself back to health. And, you know, and, and, and it all changed in a moment. 
from that. What was the age of that guy? Strange question, but there's a reason I'm going with this. Um, I believe he was uh, late 20s. Okay. The, the guy that come and ask how you were? No, he was an older gentleman. Okay. I would say like 50s or, or late 50s. It's interesting about generation. So my nan has been particularly poorly quite recently. 98 years old, amazing life. Um, she's been in hospital for quite a long period of time. And uh, my mum broke her foot not so, not so long ago. Uh, so it's not made her so, so mobile. But despite being in hospital, being quite poorly, the sense of positivity is unbelievable. And it, it, they say about war children, you know, yeah. very incredibly resilient. And we could talk a long time about the generation now. I've got younger brewers, 24, and that's crazy. They're, they're exposed to different things. And it's just, you know, I think mindset is massively underestimated. And also, um, being resilient, being that war child, being positive can go, can take you a long way in life. Well, she, she's 98, right? Uh, I think being the way she is, by the way, I actually believe being a positive person in general, and it's not scientifically backed, but can play a part in perhaps being 100%, 100%. Yeah, you've got your mindset on the right track. I feel like when you, when you get older, you move less, you're less motivated to do things, but being surrounded by a family and people and having a purpose to live and having a positive mindset absolutely will help in the longevity of your life. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. We did talk about what's next. I'm gonna give you a bit of advice because I think you, what you've got right now is a little gem. I think you need to be brave, get your big boy pants on and get this about, get this around Dubai because it's a brilliant concept. You. I think more and more people need to hear about it. Um, and I think I'd like to see more and more of these places dotted around Dubai, and who knows, mm. even further than that. I think you've done a great job. Um, anyone that's looking to start on the journey, switch different things, you must just try one class at Boxer Cat. It is incredible. The people are lovely. Um, uh, the, the trainers are great. It's not as intimidating as you might think going somewhere new. Um, it's not just boxing, there's different classes outside as well, there's spinning, so there's lots of different, different things to cater. How can people find out about booking boxing? What do they have to do? Yeah, best thing is go on Instagram, look at uh, Boxica, just at Boxica, B-O-X-I-C-A, yeah. and you'll find us there, and I'm Coach Cyrus on Instagram as well. Just randomly before we finish, Boxica, where that come, that name, that come about? Mate, we hired a, a company that okay. give us some options okay. and we like the look of that one. That's, that's good. That's it. It's very, very cool. Also, jump on Google Play and also App Store, Boxercat app. You can book your classes throughout the course of the week. Mate, absolute Thanks, mate. pleasure. Thank you Appreciate so much. It. Cheers, guys.